Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. The biggest disappointment. I worked on a show. You know, there was nothing wrong with the show. There was nothing wrong with the people on it. But I chose to work on it because I I hadn't been on a show in a while. And I felt like, well, I want to work. I just want to be an actor. I want to work. And, and uh, comedians are rather spoiled by control and by creating things. And so I ended up being on a show where I had... No authority. I would typically have like one or two lines a week, but I would end up working like 15 hours a day. And I think that when I got done with that show, I know that Jeannie and I, you know, like there was a conclusion like, all right, I'm not doing television anymore. I just, it doesn't work for me. Uh, And so I think after that you know it was like if we're gonna do it we're gonna do it on our terms he just wanted to do stand-up but it's like one of the things that just this kind of rock bottom thing and i think this is important for everyone to understand is that the when the opportunity of a lifetime is going to come around like every six months every six months and you're not going to get it and we just recalibrate all the time and now we just go okay that just happened it didn't happen we almost got this. It didn't happen. And I think that the darkest moment is any of those opportunities where you let it then negatively affect you. Welcome to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Thank you for coming. Just so we want to know where we are today, this is the storefront for art and architecture, and this is something that Caroline Hirsch, in cooperation with artists Jonah Friedman and Justin Lowe, put together. So this is a recreation of the original comedy speakeasy room in New York called the Rat Fink Room, and I'm honored that this is the last comedy show that will be in this room. So thank you all for attending. I want to thank you all so much for being here. Thank you for your support. And as always, I do a cold open when I look at my guests and I never know what I'm going to say. When I see Jim, Jim was one of my first clients ever. 
as a manager. His work ethic was incredible and his drive was incredible. It's no question that his wife is exactly the same as he is. One of Jim's goals when he met with me in my little tiny corner office on 57th of Broadway, I want to do Letterman. Because Letterman at the time was the gold standard for a stand-up comedian. Out of every 10 comedians you saw on the Letterman show, nine were comedians that the other comedians would respect. And with Jim's talent and mine, got him the opportunity to do Letterman. I'm watching it and every single joke is crushing and he finishes and the ovation is insane. And he comes out of the door and I hug him and I say, Jim, congratulations, man, you did it. And he looked at me and I'll never forget what he said. When are we doing it again? And that's the mentality of a great artist. No matter what goal you attain, okay, we've done that and we're going to the next goal. And it's the same in every business. So the story I want to tell, you know, marriage is hard. Relationships are hard to make work. You have kids, they're even harder. You're in the entertainment business, they're brutal. And I was married for 13 years to a woman, Susanna Brisk, very talented woman. I didn't really figure out the balance as a manager and producer of how to work with her in a way where her career could also thrive alongside mine the way I wanted to and the way she wanted to. And I remember one time I took 10 to 12 of my clients when I was at my company and submitted them to Saturday Night Live like I always do. And I've had so many people test for SNL and I've had five clients on the show. And I sent these things to Lauren Michaels and Marcy Klein and I'm about to send them and I see the DVD of my wife. We took these short films that she did and we edited them down. It's on my desk and I just say, you know what, fuck it. And I put her DVD in and I wrap it up because Lauren watches DVDs, he doesn't like links. And I mail it in and I don't tell anybody. I don't even think I tell her. And I get the call from either Lauren or Marcy about a month later, Barry, thank you for submitting all these people. I appreciate it. We have some good news and bad news for you. I said, what's the bad news? Listen, we only liked one of the people you submitted. I said, oh, well, that's okay. Well, who was it? Susanna Brisk. And at that point, I wanted to say, oh, that's great. That's my wife. But I didn't. I never told him. I never told Marcy. And she rehearsed and she worked hard and she tested with 16 other people. And I remember we sat in bed before she left and she said, what are we gonna do? You know, we have kids. What are we gonna do if I get this? I said, we'll figure it out, we'll make it happen. It didn't happen, but it was a good lesson to me that one of the greatest moments of my life in this business was a collaboration that I had with a woman that I believe to be just as talented in her side of the business as I was in mine. On the verge of bringing out my guest and letting you know that I've never interviewed a husband and wife before in the business, I just want to let you all know out there who are in relationships with talented people, don't be afraid to collaborate. Don't be afraid to believe in your partner as much as you believe in yourself. And I can guarantee you, you'll have a shot at the kind of career that Jeannie and Jim Gaffigan have.
Would you consider you to be the one that keeps the train on the tracks, or is it Jim who keeps the train on the tracks? Jim was the one who, like, I wanted to go, like, half in to the show. I was like, I can do six episodes. No problem. You know, and he was the one who's like, who's going to do, you know, Jim's in every scene. He was the really focused one in that decision, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And I was more like, because I had just got off the ground running. And I'm like, I want to do this, this, and this, and whatever. And Jim was kind of like, okay, come down to earth. That's not going to work. So he, he is very focused, but I'm more of the multitasker. So we work really well together, I think. Take our audience to the first moment where the night before you got in a huge argument. You're not talking to each other. You have to go and at 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. show up in that writer's room. How did you put it all aside and make it work so nobody knew? Oh, everybody knew. We've never (laughs) argued once. Like, literally, there was not a lot of, like, one of the reasons why probably it was a family is because they saw mom and dad fighting. Like, we didn't, it wasn't really uh, hard to tell when... But it's like there was no personal professional difference because all we were doing was working. So although we, we, we connected most of the time about like our kids and like that was like serious. Like we were like, okay, this one got sick. So how can we get this one picked up or whatever? That was all positive. But if it was something about, you know, maybe a, a decision to take some other interview on or invite someone to the set that wasn't discussed or you know, just piling on more responsibilities to each other. That's normally where our arguments would come in and, like, the blame game would start. Well, you agreed to do this. And it, and so I feel like on the set, without being, like, incredibly awkward, it was, like, it was pretty clear when we were, like, not 100% on the same page about stuff. But we were know, very vocal about not agreeing on everything but, together. But here's some of it. I mean, look, there is the creative process is not clean. It's there's nothing where like, yes, dear, you know, yes, dear, I'll defer to Jim. I'll defer. It's it's a discussion. That's where the details are. The details are, you know, like like when we would write scripts and, you know, we would have consultants come in and challenge them. I didn't like it when they would challenge them, but they should. I should be able to defend every beat of every moment. And and that's. That's a pretty, you should, you know, your creativity should have a sense of integrity. And so, like, we are very strong individual people, and we're going to have different opinions. And, uh, you know, I mean, one of the reasons I am married and I love her is because she's not going to just agree with me. And, you know, like, we were writing last night as she was falling asleep on the couch, 
and I was sitting there reading stand-up jokes, and she was like, I hate that word. I hate that word. And so yeah, I'll sit there. Yeah, he used the word there. ass up. <laughs> so. He's like, I'm on the table, ass up. And I'm like, ass up? When would Jim Gaffigan ever say, like, I know your voice better than you do. You know, we got in a little argument about, but like, who? he just wouldn't, you know, I mean, it's, she and said so, ass up. That's but the not thing a is, is, like, in full disclosure, I knew, like, I had done the joke a couple times. I'm like, ah, Jeannie's going to kill that line. <laughs> We work together, but I'm in stand up, I'm in his point of view. Like, I'm thinking in his point of view. In the show, it's, you know, a multi point of view show. He's the protagonist, but there's a lot of other points of views on the show. So I have a little bit more freedom on the show, but at the same time, like, I know the stand up so much better. Jim's point of view, what would Jim say in this situation? So that's the yeah. difference. Tell us a routine that you fought him on in one of the specials. It stayed in. <laughs> And it crushed. Um, there's a couple. Yeah, but uh, he wins a lot because he's like, look, I'm out there. Because I'm like, I just want that guy to come back. Like, he has a guy that tries to convince the guy at the restaurant, don't steal this, anyone. Um, the, the guy who tries to um, give away the bread at the restaurant. Like, the guy who ca- came up with the idea of putting bread on the table. Did that end up? Uh... No, we killed it. And I yeah. love it. There's it's so funny, but it's like, Jim's like, no, it's not working. And I'm like, it's working. So that was one of them. So that was one that didn't get in. Tell our audience one that did get in. I would say a lot of the Jesus jokes I didn't want in because. Uh, That's not true. No, um, no, He's not throwing now. me under the bus. No, not now. I'm talking about beyond the pale. Like I had these Jesus jokes. And I was very paranoid. I'm like, do, do I do these jokes? Yeah. And then, I mean, I wrote the jokes, but like, like a, you know, the Midwest. What are tricking, you talking about? Tricking people to uh, move to the Midwest. That's that's one that oh, yeah, yeah. you that's fought good. for. But also the kids. The big one was the kids stuff because he wasn't talking about kids. Like he would not talk about kids. And even after we wrote Dad is Fat, which was like all about our kids. I think that you were skeptical about putting kids, like st- observations about kids. Because he's like, I remember being a single guy. And the, as soon as the comedian would start talking about kids, I'd be like, this isn't for me. And he didn't want to alienate anybody. But I was like, this is in our face right now. You know, which is another reason, by the way, that when you're writing a show about having five kids in a two-bedroom apartment in New York, you need some time with those kids to be able to come up with the material. It's because it's like what you know. So at this point, I was like, this is back, you know, a few years ago maybe four years ago. Yeah. And I was like, you got to put the kids in the, the set because it's, there's, the observations are so funny. And he was afraid he was going to alienate the audience, but then what happened was is the audience expanded because it was not only the single people coming, but it was like the people with kids were coming. And the single people kept coming for the other part of the jokes. So it was, that was one where I got a victory with the kids. The Jesus thing, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> What's the thing about Jim creatively that is the most annoying to you? Um, uh, him being irreverent. Irreverent. Mm-hmm. I think Jeannie's right. And that's, that's the thing. It's, there's, I mean, every hour there's certain things. There's tone and pitch. It's, I don't want to sit there. It's like jazz, man. <laughs> but it's, there is a language, and that language, and by the way... I didn't and, say Asap was rev- irreverent. I just said it was out of character for him. And it's There's also, other by the way, it, it's, it's like language informs the, like the topic we're discussing it, where Asap comes up <laughs> is in 
getting a massage. Yeah, it's a new and chunk. And so, like, if you if you're talking about uh, massages and you're keeping it, if you're describing the, if you're approaching it from a, a standpoint of innocence of the awkwardness, you can't adopt language that that goes along with ass up. At yeah, least you that's can't how I sexualize right it now. yet. Like if you're right? saving that moment for you an awkward I mean? moment later in innocent. the joke. And then you want to save that bit for later where it's like it becomes very awkward between you and the masseuse. You can't start out with the ass up because then people are thinking ass. It's just a formula. Like I don't feel like that was a reverend. I feel like yeah. that was a crafting. That's I, just a that's just also it's you know, it's if you if you're if you the your point of view is one of kind of bewilderment with the thing, you can't have the you can't have like um, I can't remember the Darren Aronofsky um, movie, the heroin movie. Requiem. For Requiem. A dream. You can't have Requiem for a Dream kind of mixed in with this innocence of massages being weird. The whole, I, 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 maybe I'm not explaining it very well. <laughs> but like if you're, if you're taking the point of view on massages are very strange. Like we've become used to like these strangers massaging us because we can't count on the people we love to touch us. <laughs> then if you take that point of view, then you can't sit there and have a requiem for a dream point of view of like that nihilism. You have to sit there and say, I don't know. Does that make sense? Just agree with me. Awesome. Okay. You're... Most unbelievable, holy shit moment story that would be the highlight chapter of a book that you never wrote. So many. There's so many. There's so many good ones. I'll just say the most recent one is, and some of it is. Well, don't brag, though. Yeah, is it this is, it, it might sound it's like bragging. It's just weird, like crazy like, it, people coming in. By the way, it. everyone in the entertainment industry lies <laughs> constantly. So whenever someone says something, you're like, all right, that's probably not true. But. Like, whenever someone says, you look really good, I'm like, you're lying. But, um, so we were taping our special, and there was uh, an industry guy there who came, and he was like, hey, by the way, last night I was with Steve Martin and Martin Short. Steve Martin's a big fan of yours. And I'm like, what? And so I was like, all right, he's lying. He wants something. He's like, you know, I was with Steve Martin a lot. And so then... The, a different industry person who was with him said the same thing. And so, like, there's part of me that's, like... Like, the fact that Steve Martin even knows who I am is mind-blowing. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I guess as a comedian, you know, comedians just want... You know, in the end, it's like we really care more about the respect of our peers. Like, Dave Attell thinking I was funny was... That was like that that I could go on that for like four years. You know what I mean? So I think, you know, the respect of the peers is a big thing. Hey everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my blueprint for success a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, 
and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. And I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount. A $100 discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600. And you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. Six degrees of separation. All right. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name. One of you take whatever you want. It could be a, a word, a sentence, a story. David Letterman. I think David Letterman, um, if the era is over, but like sardonic, being sarcastic to someone and letting that person be in on the joke. And I think that we're going to miss that. And I think uh, it's a Midwestern thing that I think he and Bill Murray have. Matthew Broderick. Did our show with Nathan Lane. Jerry Seinfeld. Um, I mean, Seinfeld is... Uh, I would say... I mean, that television show... I mean, you know, if I didn't like him, I think I would really resent him <laughs> because he, you know, there's also something about Seinfeld and Chris Rock that when you're around these guys, there is, I mean, I have uh, 
fair amount of self-doubt. But like Seinfeld and Chris Rock, they're like, no, all right, let's do it. You know what I mean? Like Chris Rock, you can see Chris Rock go on stage. We saw this at the comedy store maybe 15 years ago. He went on stage. People go crazy. He's fumbling through jokes, not a laugh for 10 minutes. He doesn't care. And then he five minutes, kills, gets off. Uh, if I didn't get a laugh for like two minutes, I would probably need to be medicated. <laughs> so, and, and Seinfeld has that same kind of, you know, who cares? Yeah, doesn't matter to me. You know, like, and, and I love that, that, that kind of, um, it's not a confidence, it's a um, the undistracted, you know, not distracted by other people's expectations. Conan O'Brien. Um, wow, I mean, I think uh, Conan is uh, like one of the great comedy minds, I think. Uh, I think that, you know, he, you know, Simpsons, SNL, his show. And, and I think that we shouldn't be surprised if Conan has another act that's pretty amazing because, the, you know, we actually, Jeannie and I, we, um, because he's so busy on his show and we were, you know, like we mentioned, all our friends are busy working on their own shows. I was like, maybe we'll get Conan to consult. Yeah, we wanted him and to I be involved Conan, in our show. And I called Conan, he was like, you know, I'm working on my own show. And I was like, I don't know, I thought maybe. I would say also about him is that regardless of like anything that you've heard or whatever, he's exactly like he, he like we've gotten to know him, like on television. His persona, like I could say that about him and I can say that about Jimmy Fallon too. Like they're not putting on a, a different personality. Like, Conan is incredibly honest on his show. His persona is, from what I know backstage, he's exactly like that. Alec Baldwin. I mean, I love Alec. I love Alec Baldwin. And, and here's the thing. I think of Alec Baldwin, and I think that, I think, by the way, this is a, this is a, a breed of actor that is going to disappear, understandably. Because um, it's that alpha male, and I've worked with alpha males like Alec, Jason Patrick, Kiefer Sutherland, Liev Schreiber. There's these alpha males that it, it's it's weird. It's in this kind of like twenty four hour gossip thing. It's it, like they used to get a pass, <laughs> you know. Like Alec has done some things that I'm sure he regrets. But like 30 years ago, we wouldn't know about any of those things. We would just know him as this brilliantly funny, great actor. And so like, I don't know, there's something about like those alpha males that I just get along with. I mean, maybe because I'm deferential and I'm just kind of amused by, the, and, and maybe because I played sports. I just know these types of guys. Here's a great Alec Baldwin thing. So in our, when we have a rap gift at the end of our, our show. Every show has like a rap gift. It's a baseball hat or something that says the name of the show on it. It's I just want to say yeah. something. Very, very rare to have a rap gift after every show. Rare to have a rap gift at the end of a season of a show. Welcome to New York. Rap gift? I don't think there was. No. Every show. And that says something well, about the we both just, of you. I mean, it's like so, such a fun part of it to just come up with these great different ideas. So we had like a multi 
strong rap And gift. also because it but, was called the Jim Gaffigan show, I didn't want it to be the Jim Gaffigan Right, so Jim was like not, it doesn't, it shouldn't be the Jim Gaffigan show. Like it should be something fun. And so we had a lot of ideas because we did a show at Hooters, so like a Hooters t-shirt with that, you know, it's like crazy ideas. So we did this one t-shirt that was just a great t-shirt that was like an Under Armour t-shirt, right? Yeah, so it was, it was a pretty a nice decent under- like workout t-shirt. And it said the Jim Gaffigan School of Ballet on it. <laughs> And so anyway, so we, this is part of our, in our, our rap gifts, like this is this, this awesome shirt. So anyway, um, you know, skip ahead like two months later, I'm in, I'm, I'm in mass. I'm, I'm Catholic. So I'm, I'm in literally go to mass. So I'm in mass and I, I go up to communion and I come back and Alec Baldwin is in mass. Like his wife's about to have a baby and he's in there going, please, you know, everything will be okay. And so I pass him by, I pass him and he's just like, Hey, he's like, can I talk to you? And I'm just like, um, sure. Like after he goes, because I had to like run after mass, and I was just like, um, yeah, I'm running after mass. He's like, okay. He's like, I'll talk to you after communion. And I was like, okay. So, um, so I walk out, and Alec Baldwin comes running out of the church. He's like, hey. He's like, I just want to say, my wife is going to have a baby any minute now. And I'm thinking he's going to say like, say some hail mary or something like that, because I'm known as like the Shiite Catholic. And so he's like, I just got to tell you. The Jim Gaffigan School of Ballet. I need an extra large. I love it, but I got a large. Can you get me an extra large? And it was literally like, I thought it was like some urgent thing, but he ran out of mass, and so that's Alec. The Chrysler Pacifica campaign. Well, I, um, you know, it was so weird. Is like we had, uh, I had kind of stopped doing commercials for a while. Um, and some of it is the perception, like if, Long story short, I did a small part in this movie, Lady in the Water, Girl in the Water. It was a small part. And um, I replaced someone. And M. Night Shyamalan didn't like the performance of the other guy, so they brought me down and I shot the scene. And then supposedly, later on, M. Night Shyamalan saw... He was in a movie theater and he saw a commercial with me in it. And he said... Oh, I gotta take that guy out of the movie. He's he might be in the commercial before the movie. That's gonna understandably mess with people's perception. So, I got taken out of that movie, and ever since then, I was like, all right, I don't know if I'm gonna do any more commercials. I don't want to get cut from movies, and so I. Uh, but so uh, uh, then this the KFC the Colonel came up, and I loved what Norm and Daryl did with it, and I was like. All right, yeah, I'll do that. That'll be fun. I'll be playing a character. So that happened. And then, like, two weeks later, Chrysler says, do you want to do this? And I was like, I, you know, I'm in the middle, we're in the middle of writing this show. We're completely overwhelmed. And I said, well, you know, all right, so, uh, so it was, I said, all right, if Jeannie and I can rewrite these. And we, and if we can have our kids in there, because like it would be two days, our two days off, two days off would be, we'd fly to Florida two days off. I'm like, if my kids are there, I don't want to not see. I think they were going to cast kids. Yeah. And Jim's like to be sitting in the back, and so Jim's like, well, we could all be together and do it. So I think of when when I hear Chrysler Pacifica, I think of family affair, and I think it's, you know, it was like. It was good because it was like they were like 
it was all about dads getting minivans instead of SUVs. Like, I couldn't believe in that. You know what I mean? Like, it, I could get behind that. And we all got yeah. to be together. And it was. Yeah. And we got down there and it, it was raining like crazy in Orlando. So, but we have this. So I improvised some stuff with Jeannie and with our kids. And um, we got to like be together. And, and so do- it was, we just got to play, you know, which was fun. Now, of course, it's like. There comes a point where my Twitter feed people people do say, "Please stop with the commercials." <laughs> so I've seen that minivan commercial too many times. But I think you know, like Jeannie said, I I think of it as like that was a fun family time. Your proudest moments in show business? Um, absolutely, for me, was I mean, so far because I yeah. I just went through this is um, the the Mike Gaffigan show, which was the series finale of the Jim Gaffigan show. Um, my whole family was in the show. It was, you know... 53 scenes. It was, well, 54 scenes. It was 54 scenes that we shot in five and a half days with me directing. Jim played his father in it in full makeup. And um, th- my son... My 10-year-old son played the young Jim Gaffigan in it. And all my, my children made cameos in it. And uh, my daughter, Mari, played Jim's older sister, Pam, who's her godparent. Yeah. And it was all set in the 70s. And everything in that house and, and on the beach and the garage and every scene was all retro, real stuff from the 70s that was researched and cleared and everything like that. And I think that when we shot the last scene, which was an exterior in the middle of the woods around a bonfire that all of us were in. I was in it. I made a cameo in it. Jim was in it. And all my five kids were in that scene around a bonfire. It was the last shot of the season. And the crew all just came together and like jumped through hoops to make that night work and that, that shot happen. And it was such an overwhelming feeling of togetherness um, with both of my families and I knew that the audience was going to love the scene um, because Jim was playing a a babbling caveman and um, eating a huge turkey leg and it was just like one of the like the proudest moments in showbiz in my life Jim? Yeah I I think I might pick the same thing because it was so um it was creatively fulfilling and strangely therapeutic to play my father and to look down at my son who was playing me. It was really weird on so many levels. So, and then, uh, you know, uh, just, it was one of those, uh, rare times where it was, it was a plus kind of stuff, you know, where, I I was playing some a different character and it was also what Jeannie had done you know it's amazing cuz you know I had told the story that ended up being the episode and I went away and I did a corporate and I came back and I had a rough kind of outline and Jeannie came back and it was a script and it was and it was one of those things when we were working on it and our son who ended up playing me we were reading it, and he was reading like a graphic novel, and he started laughing hearing us, 
And so it was... And he also said it was just like, because there, there was kind yeah. of a scary part in it too. And it was really gripping to him, like when we were yeah. reading it out loud. And I think that also just like seeing something that you write happen so well and needing all those crew, all, all the art departments and everyone to, to just get it and like to make it happen. It was just such a fantastic fantastic experience that that Mike Gaffigan it was also like I we had jokes in there that worked well I mean it's very strange to like do jokes that um I mean they were like family jokes like my mom saying eat the coleslaw it's an inside joke but everyone like got it joke but and it worked. Because someone, like a lot of other people's moms would do things like yell, eat yeah. the coleslaw. So people related to it. And, and there and was elements. Dads. Like if you're from Chicago land and you grew up in, and it was so weird to see the Cubs win the World Series because it brought us back to that era too. It brought me back. And so there's there's just all these little Easter eggs in there. That Even was if you're not really from fun. Chicago because yeah. I have people from California. You know, I like people have yeah. responded to that episode but there's easter eggs you could watch that episode like a hundred times and not see all the easter eggs we put easter eggs all over that thing just for ourselves you know just for ourselves like little things that are all over the house and you know in the writing you know um it was just a really like you said it's that dream it's like, like that dream coming true and it wasn't a typical episode it was in a different era the storytelling was very different. It had kind of like that Princess Bride thing where you start a story here and you go back into the past and then the past takes over. And it was, um, and then there's like a series of flashbacks within flashbacks. It was just, just was such a creatively fulfilling experience and it just made me feel like, you know, I just want to do, this is what I want to do now. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you fueled it to get to the next level of your careers. Uh, The biggest disappointment? I think... um... You know, I described, you know, coming to the conclusion that I had to seek creative fulfillment in stand-up and that, that it, was, I was, it was a blessing that I got to do what I enjoyed. And I think that I've had to learn that a couple times. 
And so Jeannie talked about like chasing money or fame or whatever. And I think that I worked on a show that, um, that, you know, you know, there was nothing wrong with the show. There was nothing wrong with the people on it, but I chose to work on it because I, I hadn't been on a show in a while and I felt like, well, I want to work. I just want to be an actor. I want to work. And, and uh, comedians are rather spoiled by control and by creating things. And so I ended up being on a show where I had no authority. I would typically have like one or two lines a week, but I would end up working like 15 hours a day. And I think that when I got done with that show, I know that Jeannie and I, you know, like there was a conclusion like, all right, I'm not doing television anymore. I just, I, it doesn't work for me. Uh, and so I think after that, you know, it was like, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it on our ter- our terms. And so, and there was, I think there was a maturity that took place where it's weird. It's hard to be like, to be on a television show and be unhappy because there are millions of actors. But I remember thinking, you know, I'm not doing anything here. He just wanted to do stand-up. But so. it's like one of the things that just this kind of rock bottom thing, and I think this is important for everyone to understand, is that the when the opportunity of a lifetime is going to come around like... Every six months. Every six months. And you're not going to get it. And... I think everyone has a story where they're like, I was almost, you know, if I hadn't been, you know, I was almost on, uh, yeah. you know, I was almost a girl in Jerry Maguire. Everyone has that story, yeah. but they really weren't. You know what I mean? They really weren't, but everyone has that story where they, it was just down to them and that other person. And I think that we used to live that way. Yep. I mean, and I was, used, I tested for the office. He, I was almost the, on Arrested Development. And I, that was like, living with that um, disappointment was so dark. The disappointment of being like, oh, that was my shot. And like I said, we just recalibrate all the time. And now we just don't do that. We just go, okay, that just happened. It didn't happen. We almost got this. It didn't happen. This would have changed our lives, but it didn't happen. And I think that the darkest moment is... Any of those opportunities where you let it then negatively affect you for the next like, several years. And I think as a parent, I mean, you know this too, Barry. It's like you're constantly, you want to, some of the insights you've gained, you want to give them to your children. And the scary thing is, is how we, you know, seeking creative fulfillment is really what it's about. But also not getting caught up in other people's expectations is, you know, whether people expect a real comedian to be on Letterman or whether working on a, uh, on having your own show is, it's like, that's other people's expectations, but like kind of keeping track of what, you know, like our, you know, having a partnership, like what is our expectations of what success is? And I think that a lot of people also, I mean, from feedback that I've gotten that they don't get what I'm doing because they think that I'm kind of like being this like traditional, like let, you know, giving Jim all the glory type thing. And what about you? Like, especially like relatives, like what about your career where they don't understand that this is my career, but that's just too weird. Cause it seems like some kind of like anti-feminist thing, but I mean, I feel, so that's 
also something that, you know, that I have to deal with. And I can't really let that affect me at all because I know what my position is of power in this relationship. I don't need to be on the cover of the magazine. Do you know what I mean? Last question. What advice would you have for the young artist growing up in some small town in the Midwest who has a dollar and a dream and is thinking they want to get in this business and how to have the kind of career that both of you have had? Get the hell out of your small town. Yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I think that... I think that every path is so different and I think the path and the highway changes every couple of years. So what worked as a stand-up comedian in New York City 20 years ago is irrelevant at this point. And, you know, whether it's YouTube stars or like, you know, someone being a Vine star, you know, it's like... It's, you know, there's so many different paths, but I think that seeking creative fulfillment as opposed to seeking fame, like I think culturally we're caught up in this fame thing when intellectually we know it's stupid, right? So I think that seeking creative fulfillment is the way to go. And I'm a great guy. <laughs> Jeannie, Jim Gaffigan, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much for the audience. Amazing. Too. Thank you. Truly inspirational. Thank you so much. Last show, New York City Comedy Ratfink Room. You were a part of it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country... We'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on JG17X, April 3rd, 2019. Heading reads, perfect podcast, five stars. And the comment reads, couldn't be any better. All right, short but sweet, but thank you so much. JG17X, I really appreciate it. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to ikilljfk.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. 
normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Michael Levine. Do anything, and I mean anything. Pay any price, bear any burden, to somehow not think of yourself as a victim. I tell audiences all the time when I speak in large groups, if you want to be broke and exhausted, the number one way I can get you to be broke and exhausted is have you think like a victim. Don't do it, friends. It's a bad deal. The story doesn't end well. Whether you are or aren't a victim, thinking like a victim is a bad play. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers, they it's never quite over till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.